Welcome to episode 10 of Initial Legal Offering. More collective nouns than your average podcast, more fungible than your favorite privacy coin, it's Initial Legal Offering, the latest in crypto news and regulation. This week on the pod, a 21-year-old trader could spend up to five years in prison for buying and subsequently selling bitcoins for cash. American hero. Russian exchange WEX, successor to BTCE, allegedly moves user funds to Binance. Fake news. And Coinbase gets a partial win in court, defending itself against accusations of insider trading. America. Finally, we'll take an in-depth look at Dash, the cryptocurrency focused on privacy and payments. Joining us this week as we record from inside Dracula's castle in Transylvania. Ooh. Welcome to cryptocurrency's most ghoulish and frightening panel. <laughs> I hope we keep that sound in. So, uh, pretty excited about this week. How are you guys doing? Um, pumped to be here. It's been a stressful week. I'm, I feel like we're going to have a little release on the pod this this, this episode. <laughs> yeah, fr- <laughs> freezing. Um, look, speak for yourself. I'm planning on having no release on the pod, but uh, you do you, baby. Don't worry. We'll clean it up afterwards. <laughs> oh, Sev, you doing off okay? To a, off to a rough start A here, winning guys. start. Charlie Sheen would be proud. Hey, okay, well, let's kick this thing into high gear. Um, let's, uh, let's kick this thing into high gear because it's time for the news. So this week I'm up first. We're going to be talking about a, a true American patriot who has um, the GI Joe of crypto. The GI Joe, GI Joe crypto is that? Damn. That's a really good. That should that, be a Twitter handle. Yeah, GI Joe of crypto, a Bitcoin trader who um, has of this week pled guilty to uh, some really interesting uh, accusations. This Bitcoin dealer has pled guilty and has agreed to forfeit uh, his ill-gotten gains. A gentleman in the Southern District of uh, California who pled guilty to operating an unlicensed money transmitting business. Uh, Jacob Campos, here's to you. Um, We are (laughs) thinking about you right now. Your hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of potential trades along the southern border have got FinCEN shaking in their boots. But anyway, they wanted to tax that ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what this gentleman was accused of is kind of interesting. He was accused of getting on Bitcoin exchanges, buying and trading, taking that uh, Bitcoin and selling it on localbitcoins.com, communicating with customers through email and text messages using encrypted applications, and negotiating a 5% commission in violation of uh, the law by being an unregistered and unlicensed money transmitter. This activity comes with a pretty high penalty. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the amount involved. I mean, typically, if you're transferring under uh, he was keeping it what under ten thousand dollars so so keeping it under ten thousand so that there's no reporting requirements with any particular bank but the way that north carolina statutes written which i mean i can only speak to north carolina i don't know what california's money transmitter act looks like but uh, i suppose we should have looked at that before this podcast but it can't be organized and everything um but the violation is punishable by a certain amount of time in jail and a fine, but it's and death as well, right? No, not death, okay. not not just yet. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, it's in the court's discretion and it's based on, this is a plea deal, it would be based on what his lawyers were able to negotiate for him, but we know what his maximum penalties could be. It could even be no jail time and just a fine. It could have been jail time and no fine. It could be anything and anything in between. I think this guy, and we should mention what's really impressive about this, is this guy is 21 years old and I was mean, already getting a good start on <laughs> trading hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of crypto. Purchased um, a total of uh, $3.29 million of yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, and he started in 2015, so he would have been like 17 at that point. Wow. But I think this guy may have been uh, watching too much TV. Yeah, the uh, $10,000 amount is triggers what an automatic reporting from the bank but if you're making a whole bunch of nine thousand dollar transactions they're going to notice that too well, part of the problem and is that he's got money that he's keeping in mexico and he's carrying it across the border as right. well and not yeah. reporting it they were going to get him eventually and uh it, it's tough because if he had done this the right way he could be making a serious amount of money but in north carolina to become a money transmitter you have to have assets, and it's like $250,000 in provable assets, or no, a million dollars in provable assets, and 250000 of something. I don't know. It's pretty weird in North Carolina, but I imagine it's even worse and more stringent in California. I yeah, don't remember right, the exact so. act of yeah. uh, requirements off the top of my head. But um, this is a pretty big, steep, steep price to pay. He goes to get sentenced later on this week, if I'm not mistaken. No, February. February, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he just They're going to keep him in the clink until then. But Yeah, yeah. I, I think there was another guy, the guy who was helping him move the money across the border, who's going to be sentenced yeah. uh, in December. So not only is, is he going to get hit with a giant fine, and not only is he likely to do prison, uh, given the uh, serious nature of this, but they've seized all of his monies, about $800,000, and that's going to be up for auction. So for any of those folks that are looking to get a cheap <laughs> bit of Bitcoin from those ill-gotten gains... Um, yeah, keep an eye on the, uh, was it, the marshals? <laughs> yeah, uh, U.S. marshals when the feds are involved. But uh, what's interesting about this, the U.S. attorney, Adam Braverman, uh, said in a report about this is that, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why they've been so harsh on this gentleman is because he was operating at or near the border. And that, quote, posed a threat uh, to the integrity of the U.S.'s banking system. This is just more protecting the banks, the good old-fashioned bailout scheme that already exists. And I hate to say it, but um, this is uh, just the U.S. government protecting big banks again. Yeah. At, yeah, the, at the cost it, of the little folk. I think overall looking at it like that is is, is helpful. I mean, that, to say that this guy should go to jail for this, I mean— it's arguable. Um, you know, the the problem is, is that if he would have disclosed all this stuff and tried to have done this, there's probably, got a license. He could have got a license, but a piece could, of paper would have kept him out of jail. Yeah, could have, could have potentially. But then he still would have had to go through AML and KYC processes, and that was the whole point of his service is that he was doing this anonymously. Yeah. He should have just cash. changed it all to Monero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but there's not a local Monero.com. <laughs> not, yeah, not yet. Not yeah, yet. Just bought well, that domain. Well, we just bought it. So. Okay, so uh, what's up next? I think we've uh, we've covered that quite nicely. What do you guys want to go next? next right? Yeah, so next up we have a report of some suspicious funds being moved from an exchange in Russia called WEX. And the interesting thing about this is WEX is sort of the spiritual successor to BTCE. Spiritual um, successor? Uh, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> uh, tell so, me more. <laughs> So BTCE was in the news uh, last year because it was found that they were one of the main places where the people who stole the funds in the Mt. Gox hack were 
trying to launder those funds and uh and it's cash a russian out. exchange russian yeah. exchange yeah and uh what was really interesting about that is that the uh u.s authorities actually came in and shut that exchange down um they sent the fbi over there to russia and kicked in some doors and shut them down and so what happened after that is uh just uh, very shortly after BTCE was shut down, you had WEX pop up, and they sort of took over all of BTCE's infrastructure, yeah, yeah. seemed to have gotten a large portion of their funds, like half a million Ether, and just kept on rolling. So while the uh, guys in charge may have been arrested and put in jail, the thing essentially lived on. And uh, so WEX was trading for about a year until this past July when all of a sudden they shut down withdrawals of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah, they had, um, if I read it correctly, there was a lot of people, a lot of Russians that were reporting this action to the police because they had put money on this exchange. They couldn't get any. They yeah, there's get something out. like $18 million dollars worth of uh, crypto on WEX That's basically can't be withdrawn. Yeah. Can't, yeah. You can't do anything with it right mm-hmm. now. Well, I, it seems as though they're still allowing trading um, on CoinMarketCap. It says they still have over a million daily volume on the various markets. But, yeah, you can't pull it out. So people have been keeping an eye on them to see what's going to happen here. And uh, just in the past month or two, they've started to see some suspicious transactions. Uh, it looks like WEX has been moving some of their funds over to Binance. Well, I think we need to re- reword that sentence. WX has been moving some of their users' funds yeah. to yeah. Binance. Yeah, this exactly. is not their funds. I mean, you can't necessarily know that for sure. Generally, these exchanges will have a handful of hot wallets and cold wallets, and everybody's funds are sort of mixed in, and they have to track that internally. But it's not like every single user has a separate wallet on the on the exchange. Yeah. So. Everything's sort of mixed together. We can't say for sure these are user funds. Maybe they're an accumulation of transaction fees over the year they've been doing business, but that's yeah, these not users very haven't likely. Been able to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Seth, but these users haven't been able to withdraw funds for several months now. Yeah. These funds are starting to get moved from WEX yeah, to WEX Binance. Yeah, WEX has a publicly tagged wallet on Etherscan. Yeah. Um, and so that's what they saw. They saw almost 100,000 Ether move over to Binance, and they started trying to alert Binance. And they, were getting, they weren't getting anywhere, if I read it at first. And then one of the, one of the guys posted to Twitter, and CZ, CZ got on it quick. Yeah. Um, but the, the point I'm trying to make, though, is that, that you know it's hard for us to not say this isn't the users' money because the users literally can't withdraw their funds, and right. now the funds are moving to Binance. You know, if it if it walks like a duck, <laughs> if it quacks like a duck, it's not a crypto trading duck. It's probably just one of them regular old-fashioned ducks. <laughs> yeah, I I certainly wasn't uh, wasn't trying to defend WEX or Good. what they've been doing or <laughs> say anything other than we yeah. you can't look at the at the blockchain at the ether chain and say for sure that these were user funds but well, that's yeah. a good point to bring up later on in our coin of the week that's right i think we need to we need to hold off on going in too much depth on that because you're gonna you're gonna soil the soil soil the chat so to speak um, damn it uh, <laughs> maybe edits 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 swinging a miss there Maybe let's just say murky the water, muddy the water, muddy the waters. Yeah, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> I said that I think on six of the nine yeah, podcasts. I think you have. Yeah, 
Good job. Way to keep it going. <laughs> yeah, keep it going. Okay, so looks like uh, WX and their users are in a bit of uh, a spot of trouble, yeah. one would yeah. say. So if you've got any uh, funds to trade with or you want to do anything, don't put it on WEX, maybe. Or um, maybe look at some place yeah, we'll maybe a little more a reputable. address to send it to. Yeah, <laughs> we got you. Yeah, so um, just before we just transition, I have one more question. I don't know if you guys know this, but has, has anyone from Binance said or done anything about? Yeah, so um, CZ, that's the head of- CEO of Binance, yeah. CEO of Binance. He tweeted after these the stuff went out that, they can they're temporarily freezing the funds, but that they can only do that for a short amount of time and that they need reports from law enforcement that kind of corroborate this yeah. because they they're only I, I don't know if that's their internal policies or if that's one of the laws. Yeah, it's it's gotta be a policy. They'll they only, only freeze, freeze the account for so long without law enforcement. Yeah. So well, that's interesting from a centralization standpoint, but uh let's move on to the next article. Who's up next with some uh Bitcoin Cash. So I've got this. This is actually a bit of Coinbase sprinkled in with some Bitcoin Cash. Interesting. So when right before Bitcoin Cash was going to be listed on Coinbase, there was some questionable trading going on, or at least in the eyes of Arizona resident Jeffrey Burke. Jeffrey Burke, who filed a lawsuit against Coinbase in the Northern California Federal Court. And what... What happened recently was that the judge issued a dismissal of the complaint. Now, they still have – the judge gave him three weeks to file an amended complaint. So, basically, his, his complaint, is, as drafted by his attorneys – you know, if, if any of you guys are attorneys, you're familiar with Rule 12b-6 of the Rules of Civil Procedure. So, their claims failed to state a claim upon which relief could be granted. Oh, that's law school. That's yeah. some law school so language Yeah, so under right Twombly there. and Iqbal, which are the current standards, you must maintain facial plausibility. So, that means that – the complaint on its face didn't allege that the defendants were liable for the conduct alleged. So he just didn't have a, a clear nexus of facts there that presented that they had actually injured him. You even went to the nexus of facts? Ooh. Man, that is... Uh, <laughs> Y'all paying that's, me per word on this episode. Yeah, right? that's um, that's great analysis. Yeah, so this, this 12B6 is really interesting because technically, you know, your complaints when you draft the lawsuits, it's your chance to basically allege what's happened. So... Getting your case dismissed on a 12b-6 is rarely a bad, bad sign for your case. Now, there may have been a a technical issue or may have been a bad ruling, and I certainly don't want to get into the business of questioning judges, but... Typically, when you when you draft a complaint, you just you allege facts in a clear and concise way that outlays your case. And so, if you've got it, it's pretty easy to usually just write it out, and then the judge can analyze and see if you've alleged sufficient elements to prove a claim. Yeah, and it's in the in the order the judge wrote that the complaint does not sufficiently articulate the legal basis, and a reader of the complaint is left wondering what Coinbase should have done differently, or why the rollout of Bitcoin Cash would have gone more smoothly had Coinbase done whatever Burke thinks is appropriate. Yeah, so what's interesting about Burke's claims uh, is that he was claiming that there had been tipped off about Bitcoin Cash's listings and that some folks had immediately swamped Coinbase and GDAX, which is now Coinbase Pro, with buy and sell orders thinning the liquidity but obtaining uh, the price. But obtaining Bitcoin Cash at a fair price. Yeah. And so like, whether that amounts to sufficient market manipulation to withstand you know, illegal pleading is what this judge is saying. No, it doesn't. 
so it looks like Mr. Burke and his lawyers have got um, uh, themselves a little bit of a, a pickle here, right? They, they the case has been voluntarily dismissed. It's, so it's uh, with, dismissed without, without prejudice. Without I'm prejudice, sorry, just not, not voluntarily. But, so that means they've got this three. The judge has given them a three week window. But it's it's also important to note that there was an arbitration provision that was also ruled on. Coinbase wanted this all to be carried out in front of an arbiter and not in front of the courts. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of big corporations, big companies do this. If you ever don't read your terms of service, whenever you T's and C's, pretty and much C's, every terms and yeah. conditions, you need to know that because they limit your legal remedies in some instances. And then you have to go through an arbiter and yeah, well, arbitration can be effective in, in a lot of ways for large companies, but also for individuals. If you play your cards right, arbitration is, is much more cost effective than litigating in federal courts. Arbitration oh, yeah, is uh, alternative dispute resolution, where basically you you agree to rules like you would in courts, so except in courts, the, the rules of, of evidence um, that are codified apply. But it goes much faster and it's it's much cheaper. It's much uh, more expen- inexpensive. In the grand scheme of things, Coinbase wanted an arbitration to happen here because it's going to move this thing along and they're going to get a clear answer really fast. And a lot of arbitrations are binding. So yeah, once not, you get that decision, it's I think done. the bigger thing that they are, they're pushing for is that that's not public. Yeah, well, that's also could be a factor. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what Coinbase was thinking on this, but I can tell you that um, this arbitration provision doesn't apply to this. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. That's, what that's, did you read into that? So the, the judge basically denied it, saying that their actions and you know this potential or alleged market manipulation this falls outside of the contract so therefore the arbitration provision is not it's just inapplicable yeah so it sounds like the right decision there i probably would have yeah. made the same decision if i had a robe on <laughs> oh and that's just not a halloween joke yeah <laughs> it's too bad there's nothing underneath that robe <laughs> yeah i don't know what to say about that um <laughs> except sweat and fear <laughs> That's terrible. That is, that's, that is terrible. Burned. Yeah. So um, look, I I'm interested to see if they're going to refile this thing, and in a three week period, typically, um, you know, dismissals, the judge gives folks a little bit of time to do it. But this is federal court in California, yeah, be, so I don't want to speak specifically to to dates and numbers. I'd but, be interested to see if he's if he's paying his attorneys on contingency or if. If this is a flat fee. Oh, yeah, I bet the, it's a contingency case. I'm sure it is. The lawyers for Burke have already said they, they plan to refile within the window. So they're they're going to keep pushing at it. Well, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that how much you know time and effort goes into drafting one of these complaints, how much investigation there is on the back end, how many documents these law- yeah. lawyers had to pour through. Um, can, can you just – sorry to interrupt. Something just uh, dawned on me. What did the judge say in the motion to um, to dismiss? That there was nothing alleged about what, what Coinbase what should Coinbase have done, could, should have done differently, or why the rollout of Bitcoin Cash would have gone more smoothly had Coinbase done whatever. So the that's an interesting quote to put in there, and, and I'm not sure where exactly you pulled that from. It's may... pulled from the from the order. Okay, well that's a pretty interesting thing to quote because in the 12b6 you you're going to look at the veracity of the pleadings and whether you've pled sufficient elements to maintain an argument of market manipulation. It's got nothing to do with what Coinbase yeah. would have done. You've got to look at the elements and in the light most favorable to the plaintiff, the guy who drafted the complaint, yeah. does he allege sufficient claims to support the allegations? Interesting that the judge would have quoted that. Yeah, but then well, again, yeah. who knows what the heck happens in California? Well, there was also one claim that was dismissed with prejudice, and they said uh, that that was because if Coinbase had committed this manipulation as described, 
then because it's not a futures contract, it's yeah. commodities, it actually fall under the purview of the CFTC. And they would, be and they would have the standing to, yeah. To, yeah. to file this. That's super interesting. Yeah. Th- this is the kind of stuff that I love to talk about in crypto because we are applying traditional legal concepts to... What's going on here, man? Yeah, to, to, to crypto. <laughs> and the crypto traders and holders need to understand that T's and C's matter. Yeah, massively. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what's in your exchanges, T's and C's, that's maybe that's something we should do in one of these upcoming episodes. Is do a T and C review oh, for a couple God. of the exchanges. I mean, we, don't we have Who's some? For that? Don't we have um, <laughs> someone who loves reading T's and C's? Ben, no, Lorbeth's Lor- Lor- not here. She can volunteer. Yeah, all in favor of Lorbeth doing this? Yeah, she's not here. So we're gonna volunteer yeah, her yeah. For that. that's uh, that's amazing. Okay, so maybe next week we'll um, we'll hit some T's and C's. Yeah, let's transition to the coin of the week. That's right. This week's coin of the week is Dash. Ooh. This is an exciting coin. We're talking about the keyboard button next to the zero, right? You already made that joke once, Ben. Oh, <laughs> come on. Somebody just had so many takes on yep. this Somebody podcast. It's hard for him to I keep whether it's I made it in or not. I them all. <laughs> it wasn't funny then, but it's funny now. Yeah, no. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's give a little bit of background on Dash. Uh, Dash was originally a fork of Bitcoin, and uh, it was originally called Xcoin. This was back in January 2014. Underwent a couple of name, name changes since then. It was briefly Darkcoin and then finally settled on Dash in March of 2015. According to the white paper, Dash is a payments-focused cryptocurrency with built-in privacy functions. And uh, the distribution of the mining rewards or block rewards on this uh, is going to be 45% to the proof-of-work miners, 45% to the uh, master nodes that have to uh, stake 1,000 Dash, yeah. and then 10% goes to a DAO, which I believe was just uh, created a year or two ago. Yeah, so that's their decentralized autonomous organization, I guess, something like that. Yeah. Um, yep. And that is actually based on the master nodes, isn't it? The vote in there. I, I think anyone that holds Dash can vote in the okay. in the DAO process, uh, okay. not just master nodes. Yeah. So Dash is kind of an interesting cryptocurrency, because, uh, particularly because it it's one it started as a as a payment focused cryptocurrency, but it's really known as being a privacy coin, right? I mean, that, well, that's, well, so you can enable that I, feature, but you don't have to use it. Yeah, I don't know if it's known for that. I I looked into the uh, what's it called, private send feature a little bit when researching this and it's a little bit complicated especially compared to the other privacy like monero. options yeah monero or uh zcash anything in that family so yeah it's not enabled by default like ben said uh you have to actually go into the wallet and uh configure a few options it's a little bit complicated and you really have to understand how this thing works in order to be able to set it up so i i didn't see any numbers on utilization how many of these private transactions there are, but I imagine it's 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 not that many. It's probably three, (laughs) maybe more. So we've mentioned Dash before on the pod, a lot talking about with Venezuela and their hyperinflated economy. Dash is seeing serious adoption there. I mean, it is like... But it's been seen with a serious adoption because it's a, it's a privacy coin, right? I mean, that's what people are wanting to use. Well, because, well, because, because, because the Bolivar is worthless. Yeah, it's stable compared to the Bolivar. Sure, but why not Bitcoin? Right, I mean, Dash is in, so Dash can actually be used as a payment as so much quicker. Than yeah, it, it's known for being fast, and that that's its main selling point, really. So, I don't have any Venezuelan friends 
at all. Nobody? <laughs> but well, after this podcast, you know. I hope that you'd call me and we could become friends. Uh, <laughs> but point being is that my understanding of why they were adopting it, one, is that it's fast as a payment processing coin, but there's a privacy feature. Is that, And there is this understanding, this belief that it's private by default, but it's not. It's not by default. Yeah, yeah. and like I know that and you know that, but I don't think that other folks know that. I, my understanding of why it's been so widely adopted in Venezuela is that it's fast, but people believe that it's a privacy coin mm. by default. And I can't speak to the veracity of those statements, but what I can speak to is that Dash has done some really interesting things, and people have used Dash for some really interesting things. There's been a, a business that has been taken, it's called Neptune Dash, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. that's been taken public simply by holding 10 masternodes or 100 masternodes. They, took, wow. they did an IPO just simply by having and holding master nodes by staking these thousand dash and um, they operate their IPO and their people can buy and sell the securities in that company in a, in a Canadian stock exchange. You know, um, one of those not so popular Canadian stock exchanges, not like the New York stock exchange. It's one of those other type of stock exchanges, the but, Toronto futures stock. I have no idea. Just <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> that's... Um, but the point being is that like, there are people that are genuinely are into things that have master nodes. Yeah. The master like, node thing to me is kind of interesting because it takes such a high amount to stake. So right now dash is trading about 153 bucks a pop. So that's like 153 grand investment that you have to have to have a master node. And now they do get 45% of the reward, which we've, Ballpark some numbers and figures. What would you say? The back of the napkin math. Yeah, uh, I I worked it out and believe you can make about twenty five, twenty six bucks right now on one master node. And yeah, that ties per, up per day. Per day, yeah, and that's keeping one hundred fifty three grand locked up uh, in this system. But it it's still popular. There yeah. are about eight point four million dash in circulation. And over five million of them are staked in master nodes. So wow. there's a ton so of people doing this. So that means a lot this. of the currency is tied up. So there's, you know, there's that that, that you have That's to. That's why it's with. worth and so much. Also, yeah, but I think one of the things we're overlooking is that when Dash first came out, the first day they mined like two million of them. Yeah, they have really a crazy. They have an interesting progression of block rewards. Uh, most like Bitcoin halves every was it four years? Something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and Dash, uh, on the other hand, goes down, I think I said, uh, 7% every year. So they actually have this mapped out to decrease over the next like 150 years as opposed to Bitcoin at some point. It just Basically 2028. Yeah, 2028. Bitcoins, it's, the halvings have happened so many times that there's no real block rewards except mm-hmm. for nodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, they've done some interesting things with the hybrid proof of work and proof of stake and uh, these this master node concept. And they also have, like you said, a lot of people developing interesting platforms on top of this. There's a company in Venezuela who developed a way to text your Dash to people. Uh, you can send payments over SMS. There's awesome. also... Uh, a company here in the U.S. who is marketing Dash to people in the legal cannabis industry who can't really get bank accounts because it's still illegal at the federal level. So there seem to be a good number of companies out there who are excited about this. I would be a little bit concerned about that most of their growth has happened in Venezuela. I saw some numbers that about 2,000 merchants in Venezuela have... uh, are taking Dash, 
and about 4,000 worldwide. So most mm. of this really is focused in Venezuela. I think it's bl- starting to bleed out into some of the yeah, neighboring countries. Like Ar- but Argentina and Colombia, and Ukraine as well. Had, had, mm-hmm. Dash was actually you know marketing in these areas because of hyperinflation. I think that's it is kind of you know sneaky in a way because these these countries are having economic strife and they're kind of capitalizing on it. But it is showing a somewhat way of adoption in those respects because people are putting trust in Dash versus the Bolivar or the Petro. That's their, yeah. that's their competitor <laughs> in Venezuela. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. But, yeah, the, the problem with this getting so big in a country like Venezuela is you have the Petro, which from what I've seen is essentially a clone of Dash. But what happens if the government in Venezuela one day decides that we're going to specifically ban anything besides the petro um, in terms of digital currency? Or what if the U.S. government says this has gotten so big in Venezuela, it's basically replaced the Bolivar. We're going to ban it in the U.S. because we have economic sanctions against Venezuela. Like having their fate so closely tied to Venezuela could be a problem for them down the road. I think think you're very true in, in that respect. So overall, I mean, I think our I think last time I did talk about Dash, I was kind of shilling it a little bit. You know, it does have some some real use, some real life use cases, and and it's better for the crypto space in the whole if, if, if it gets adopted more. But I feel there's also you know some some things that are that are questionable that before you invest in anything like this, you want to do your own due diligence and That's right. and, and research and 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 review and and all those kinds of things that you, that you need to do. So, do you guys know how the Dash DAO works? Not a clue. Do you? Um, no, but I'm I'm looking at it right now. That's why I've been so quiet. Is that um, you know the it's a, I know it's a consensus protocol, right? People vote on on what's yeah. going to be happening on the chain. And I think it's mainly geared toward people promoting Dash. Like you can submit an idea to the DAO, and in a, if enough people vote on it, it'll get funded, and uh, and then you can go out and build an app on Dash or promote it. Somewhere and at the a only, conference. Or... The only people that can vote in and participate in, in the DAO is our stakeholders. Do you know if that's the uh, case? I do not know if that's the case. I hope not. I, yeah, I, I feel like I, I saw something that anyone holding Dash has can, a vote. Yeah. Yeah, I do hope that's the case because if it wasn't, that would that would make some that would create some significant concerns. Yeah. But look, I, I think DAOs are very clever but very very flawed consensus mechanisms to put something like that on on the chain it, it's subject to manipulation a lot of times they're not sophisticated yeah, with the Bodie McBuckface again yeah <laughs> and look, I mean that was funny like the first couple times but not so much not so much afterwards so overall we think Dash is a good project I think but there's 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 always issues that you need to be cognizant of how about we just spin for next week's coin all right, we have rolled a 33. Hey, which on I thought we were doing good. 1 to 25. No, this lucky. is a good one, though. Wait for it. On CoinMarketCap right now, number 33 is Nano. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Like the infinitesimally small. <laughs> <laughs> the infinitesimally small. I've, I've shilled some Nano in my time. Hey. Yeah, that's another payment processing um, coin, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't it? Zero uh, transaction the, fees, payment processing. Yeah, amongst other things. They were originally Ryblox or Rayblox. Yeah, or, yeah. That's um, just, it was a cool name. I don't know why they changed it, but look, um, we can judge their branding later. So what's up next? So it's time for my favorite part of the show, everybody. It's been subtle wink of the week. 
not to be mistaken or construed as legal advice or financial advice for that matter, as you're better off getting your advice from a pride of peacocks. At least they'll provide you with some colorful tales. Hey, no, no just giving up, man. You've, nope. you've killed my will to live. Oh, all right. So this one is going, it's a big shout out to happy birthday, Bitcoin. It is the 10 year anniversary of Satoshi Nakamoto's vision, the original white paper. So Bitcoin, the world's first and foremost form of decentralized store of value. Now it's been around 10 years and it's hovering around the $6,500 mark. I mean, I think when we, everybody can remember that guy that bought the pizza for 10,000 Bitcoins. He's mm-hmm. definitely kicking himself right now. So we're going to take a look at back at some of these haters from throughout the past decade who should be probably who are kicking themselves now. Um, here's a few notable quotes during the decade lifespan of the Bitcoin white paper. The revolution that is known as Bitcoin. Enjoy the revolution, brother. All right. So 2011, early on. This is from Forbes. So that's the end for Bitcoin then. Oh, that's the uh, the 20. Uh, is that Mt. Gox? No, no, it's 2014. The quote goes on to say, Bitcoins are not liquid nor a store of value as the price collapse shows. And if there are none of these things, then they'll not be a great medium of exchange either as who would want to accept them. It's difficult to see what the currency has going for it. I mean, back then, you know, they thought they were saying all the right things, but obviously not. Wired had a good one from 2013. I thought Bitcoin's volatility and built-in irreversibility will doom it to the ash heap of history. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> the thing that people love about it. The immutable blockchain exactly. that is Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. Also, we got Bitcoin is a joke from our friends at Business Insider. Not on the inside on this one, Business Insiders. <laughs> um, Reuters from 2014. Bitcoin is neither a relatable store of value nor a helpful unit of account. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a pretty good burn there. And so that's that's some of the bad ones that we've heard. But now you have everybody in the space, especially technology. Except for Jamie Dimon. Except, of course. <laughs> um, Pri- privately, he loves Bitcoin. Yeah, so Bill Gates recently quoted as saying, Bitcoin is a techno tour de force. Also, let's see, John McAfee's quoted as saying, you can't stop things like Bitcoin. It will be everywhere, and the world will have to readjust. <laughs> That's not the best John <laughs> McAfee quote. Have to you picked the wrong quote for John McAfee. Yeah, well, let's you not know, quote John McAfee on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, if the price gets to 250000 he was going to commit to performing some illicit act um, on himself. I think himself. he was going to perform fellatio on himself, on live TV. Yeah. On national TV. <laughs> yeah, I was like... Fox Who News? would want to Fox broadcast that? Like, so people are lining up like, Mr. McAfee, you know, we're, we're going to need you, you on know, we're gonna have to blur the majority of this. Right? <laughs> Do you need help flexing, stretching? <laughs> Let's see. Um, here's another one. It's Money 2.0. A huge, huge, huge deal. No, that wasn't Trump. That was Chamarth Parapara. Previous head of AOL Instant Messenger. Who is a respectable tech person, by the way, yes. whose name you just butchered. Look, the best one is the is the quote from uh, one of uh, the Winkelvass oh, your, your, twins. Your conversational bathroom yep. friends, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, look, what stays in the public restroom happens in the public restroom. Or I don't know. We have elected to put our money and faith in the mathematical framework that is free of politics and human error. That's a pretty good uh, yeah, quote from that's... the co-creator of Facebook. The, the creators of Facebook that people actually like. Just going to say that. They're not robots, you mean? Yeah. So um, what does Eric Schmidt say about Bitcoin? Our boy Eric Schmidt says, Bitcoin is a remarkable cryptographic achievement. 
and the ability to create something that is not duplicable in the digital world has enormous value. The real question is, where do we go from here, Ben? So what, what's the next decade hold for Bitcoin? Only the future knows the answer to that question. I think that wider adoption by the masses will certainly increase the trust and value in Bitcoin. More importantly, as soon as we see governments talking about quantitative easing, that's when they basically create money out of thin air. Um, we can surely expect interest and adoption in crypto as a whole and not just Bitcoin to increase. Absolutely. Preach. Yeah. So that's it for the podcast this week, guys. That was a deep philosophical ending. That was super deep. That was. That's the way we should do this thing quick. next week and every week thereafter. That's hardcore. So? Absolutely. I love okay. it. So thanks for listening, guys. If you want to follow us, like, rate, subscribe, all those things, we're at initiallegal at twitter.com. If you want to follow me separately, that's at bentdiligence at twitter.com. That's B-E-N-T-D-I-L-I-G-E-N-C-E. Good. You practice that a couple yeah. times? No, uh, just, just on the spur look, of the moment here. I, I appreciate you guys joining us for our 10-year anniversary podcast for podcast Satoshi. Too. Wow. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Halloween edition yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm, cool I'm sorry I couldn't get uh, Satoshi to join us. He did tell me that he was planning on coming, but he got a flat tire. So yeah. uh, thanks again for listening. Yeah. Thanks. Join us next week and when we discuss Nano. Thank you so much. So we've been talking about Dash in the news about <laughs> the Venezuelan economy. It's a Venezuela. The Venezuela economy. The economy is a scale in Venezuela.